Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Boo, everybody. Welcome to a live episode of Unspooled that you are about to hear coming straight from the Overlook Film Festival in New Orleans. Now, I wanted to give you kind of a spooky disclaimer for your headphones. We recorded this episode live with a live crowd in a church that was built in 1860. And I want you just to picture this church for a second. It's like two and a half stories tall, giant stained glass windows, huge balcony, lots of wood, lots of columns, lots of tile. And this is all my way of saying... The audio is not going to be as great as what we try to do uh, every week on the show. So in that spirit, please enjoy this episode that we had so much fun recording all about horror on the AFI list. Thank you so much for coming. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Unspooled. I'm Amy Nicholson. And I am Paul Shear, and this is our live episode from the Overlook Film Festival. This is a very exciting here, our first live episode. First ever, so thank you guys so much for being here and making us feel a little bit comfortable in this gigantic church with amazing stained glass windows. This is insane. It's a spooky church. It's a haunted church. One of you will be terrorized by a demon tonight. I guarantee it. You have to go home with a demon. (laughs) Now, normally on the show, Amy and I will tackle the AFI Top 100 list. We look at uh, the movies that are there. Are they worth being there? Are they uh, still relevant? And for this festival, we wanted to do something a little bit different, and we wanted to talk about horror and the representation of horror on the AFI list. Exactly, because there is not that much horror. You know, we talk a lot as a horror community, like, where's horror on the Oscars? Where's horror's respect? And I feel like... I really, we've just hit our 50th film on Unspooled. I feel like this was a really good moment for us to kind of take stock and be like, what do we need again? What is missing? Like, what are the genres that are not represented and why? And we wanted to have some awesome horror people in here to have this conversation with as kind of a horror collective. Yeah, and so I think our first question was, and it was a question that we were having trouble with, like, what is a horror film like what does a horror film have to have there's so many different types of horror films there's psychological horror there's comedy horror there's slasher horror there's so many versions but what are the key concepts that a horror film has to have what do you think a key concept is i mean 
I think a horror film to me has to have that little, that moment of physiological reaction where something in you just cringes, where you cannot stand to look at the screen, where you just die. I think a horror film is a film that doesn't just affect your brain, it has to affect your body. Well, that's a good, well-thought-out answer. I, I, uh, my answer was going to be it's a movie that makes you yell at the person on screen for being an idiot. I feel like that... It, that it sums up hard of me. Like, why? Why would you go in there? Why would you talk to that person? Don't touch that. Okay, but there are so many films that I would yell at the person on screen for being an idiot that are not horror films. Well, you did it for Sophie's Choice. Um, so let's go out to the audience here and, and see. I'm going to see if anyone can tell me like one thing that they feel like a horror movie has to have. Anybody at all. Just anything that you feel like a horror movie has to have. Here. All right, right here. What do you, what do you think it has to have? Has to have murder. Has to have has murder. To have murder. Controversial opinion, all right? We'll get into it. I like it. What else? Anybody else? What else? I have to clench. I have to clench. clench Not naming what? what part. Yeah. yeah. But I like that. All right, yeah. All right, right here. What do you think? Has to have a monster, human, or otherwise. Ooh, monster, a monster, human, human, or, human or, otherwise. or otherwise. All right, great. What else? Anybody cause. else? What do you think? A really good one has to linger with you. It has to stay with you after you've seen the movie. I like that, like the idea that it comes home with you a little bit. It makes you scared. Right, these are all really good. All right, let's see. One more in here. This is good, all right? What do you think it has to have? It's got to get my adrenaline going. Got to get my heart, heart pumping. All right, so these are all really good answers. I don't think any of them are wrong. Um, but let's talk about the AFI list and the movies that they consider the best horror films of all time. Yeah, because part of why I wanted to have this conversation is when you go through the entire AFI list, I think there are only four films that really pop out as a horror film, maybe? Wizard of Oz. Uh, <laughs> Saving Private Ryan and Ben-Hur. No, uh, <laughs> I, mean, I think Saving Private Ryan is an interesting example because Saving Private Ryan shows that the Academy is not afraid of gore. Right. It's not afraid of blood and guts. It just wants them to be realistic blood and guts. Exactly. Like they, but the movies that I guess are horror films on this list are surprisingly not that gory. Yeah, we have already done episodes. We already did an episode on Psycho, mm -hmm. and you know we've been kind of we we're kind of even going back and forth in the recording of that. Like, is Psycho really a horror film? It has a murder, and there are definitely moments where you get your adrenaline up. It sticks with you. People didn't want to take showers for a long time. You still have not. The great stink of 1957. <laughs> everyone didn't shower for. Uh, no, but I mean that. I mean, it definitely has a psychological element. There's a monster. I mean, even though it's not a traditional monster, it is a monster. Um, well, then we talk about a movie like Jaws, right? Which is probably, I mean, it's tricky because Jaws, is Jaws a horror? I mean, do people consider that a horror movie? It, it's a hard thing to quantify. There's a monster. It's scary. People didn't want to swim. I would say Jaws has given me more nightmares than anything else on this list. Really? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I saw Jaws 4 before I saw any other of the Jawses. Okay. And like Jaws 4 really was that movie where I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't touch the Jaws ground. Like, 4? Yeah, Jaws 4? That scared you? It's great. Jaws My 4, a child almost dies in Jaws 4. They really take it to a child on the banana boat. Okay. All right. I... <laughs> I just remember, like, Jaws 4 is like Jaws on vacation. <laughs> like, like, all of a sudden, this shark is in the Bahamas. Like, what? What's happening? But it wasn't, like, just another shark. It was the shark. It was like, yeah. Um, uh, all right, and, so, yeah. And then there was the Sixth Sense, which sixth we talked sense. about, which yes. might maybe be sort of considered. 
standards. Clear horror, I mean, there's ghosts, there's Misha Barton under tables, tables like this table. Yes. There's things, you know, shocks, things that you, they kind of borrow from poltergeist cabinets opening and closing. But it also feels just like a drama about a dude and a kid. Yeah, I know. It's, it's weird that these are the films that are up to represent. Let, let's maybe bring up our guests to kind of talk yeah. to us a little bit about these, these four yeah. films. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's one more that I oh, wonder. Yeah. Silence of the Lambs. Well, I guess that could be considered a horror as well. Yeah. I mean, Silence of the Lambs, I mean, but it's like, what's a thriller versus a horror? I think that horror, or a good horror, is a little trashy. Where every movie that we just talked about is very, like, lofty. I mean, it's a Hitchcock film, you know, M. Night at the beginning of his career was very much like, oh, this is our new Hitchcock, and, you know, uh, Steven Spielberg. It's like, they're not like, these are not the names that you think of when you think of horror. Like, it's not Hitchcock, uh, M. Night, and Spielberg, and uh, Jonathan Demme. Those are not horror names. Like, you wouldn't put them in, like, my favorite horror director is Jonathan Demme. <laughs> you know? Uh, so, I yeah. If it was, though, that'd be great. <laughs> oh, so let's bring up our guests. Yeah. All right, we have two awesome, genius, wonderful, brilliant horror experts. The first one that's coming up is Sam Zimmerman of Shudder. Hello. Welcome, Sam. Hello. Welcome, Thank you. Sam. And let's also bring up Phil Nobile Jr. from Fangoria. Welcome, Phil. So you both basically make a living in this genre of horror. A meager living. <laughs> what, what do you think? Like, just your opening thoughts on, on what do you think? Like, why does horror not get, like, the proper acclaim? Like, on a list like this, when we think about those four names, it's like Spielberg, Demi, uh, you know, uh, why am I? Uh, M. Night. M. Night. And, and Hitchcock. And Hitchcock. Like, those are not horror directors. No, that's very much a, a, an establishment or institution um, making an exception based on the pedigree of those films, I think, right? Yeah. And, um, and the AFI and, and those, the Hollywood in general has a habit of ghettoizing horror. I don't know if you remember, after AFI did this 100 list, they made 100, 100 thrills, yes. 100 laughs, and it gives them an excuse to not include these genre efforts in sort of their, their particular canon, right? Yeah, because if you're making a, a list of the best films of all time, you have to include all the genres. I mean, or not document. I mean, of all the narrative fiction. Sure. Yeah. What do you think? I think one of my favorite things about horror is the the it's two truths, the high and low of it all. Um, you know, sure, Saving Private Ryan. That's prestige gore, right? But all other gore is disreputable, and that's half of the appeal of horror. Sometimes we love disreputable disreputable cinema. We love exploitation. We love feeling weird and dark and scared. At the same time, of course, master filmmakers make the best horror because horror, in a way, is like the purest form of movie. It's like sound, it's vision, it's like the height of the craft, in a way. So I think those things clash, and that's the best part of horror, but also makes it really difficult for institutions to discuss because they don't know how. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think that high-low discrimination is actually really interesting because you know, we were in here, we were talking about clenching and adrenaline. And I think that there's some sort of kind of subtle stigma to the idea that a, a thing that affects your body is lesser. You know, because you think about it as being tricked. We call movies that make us cry weepies, like that's an insult, when it just means that it did a really good job at the thing it wanted to do. Yeah, and I think when something happens to us automatically as an, as an audience, we're like, we're like, oh, you just got us, and we want to be above them. We want to be connected to with our brain. Or, 
not that we want to be, but I think that the list respects that more. It prioritizes things that affect your brain and less things that affect your body. Well, so so much of talking about movies is intellectualizing them and analyzing them, which there's a lot to be said for, but at the same time, that visceral reaction is maybe the most powerful thing a movie can do, and yet it's easy to look down on. Yeah, it's, it's really kind of fascinating that a lot of the directors we talked about on this list, you know, went and made very different films right after this. Like, they, you know, um, and... And I feel like they use it as a jumping off point. It's sort of like, you can even look at, you know, James Gunn, who did like Slither, and then now is, yeah. you know, making these much bigger films, you know, but it's like, it's sort of like, you can get your first footing in horror. It's like, it's almost like a first job. It's like, hey, if you do good here, we'll give well, you some sure. more money. Yeah, yeah, there's a long history of, of horror being cheap and profitable. So a lot of guys trying, like Romero. Romero talked about his whole career about wanting to make a Tarzan movie. And Carpenter wanted to make a Western, but they were able to get these movies greenlit. So it's where they cut their teeth. And it's where you see just a lot of just exemplary cinema being enacted because they were sort of free to do it because no one was really paying attention. I mean, as a critic, I think that's why I'm like very devoted to following horror because horror is where you absolutely find like the people who are going to be making the, the most important films in like five, ten years and I want to discover them at their first film. I want to point them out and say they did a good job because like, especially the jump from making your first film to your second film is so hard. I think like I want to be scouring that whole range for like who are the genius talents. Well, it's also really interesting to think about you know, two of those movies were absolutely the start of their careers but then you think about when Hitchcock made Psycho and like came back in a way and scaled it back and wanted to make something sort of disreputable and uh, Silence of the Lambs I mean Jonathan Demme was definitely well established by then but then comes in and makes this and then you think about Sam Raimi coming to make Drag Me to Hell after all the Spider-Man movies um, and kind of returning to his roots in a way I think there's an expression in horror for filmmakers like that to really go for it well, what do you think about this idea? I think there's a big talking point in, in modern film where they say, like, oh, original films can't make money at the box office. Like, if it's not, like, a superhero or this. But then you look at, like, right now when we're recording this, I think there may be at least two, like, Ma and Brightburn are right now out there in the top ten. But, like, those films, horror films, seem to avoid that. When people go, like, oh, no one sees original films. But they do see original horror films. It's the only genre that you don't need stars you don't need uh ip you can just be like did the poster scare me enough or did the like did the trailer get me and it's like and for better or for worse because sometimes a great trailer does not make a great film but it's interesting to me that you know we are always saying not enough original ideas but in horror it seems like there's a, a an incredible wealth of them yeah and it makes it even more galling that the afi doesn't recognize that because you know all the things you talked about about how you how you react to a horror movie. It is the purest exchange between the the art and the the person ingesting the art to me. And it's it's a kind of a drag that that there needs to be this level this veneer of respectability on these sort of you know uh, approved canons of of what's a, what's a classic film. Exactly because I think the best horror does what we want the best dramas to do like the best of anything that it. The best horror films take the reality that we know, and then it kind of stabs holes in it, and it bloodies it up, and it lets us examine what the questions we're all interested in are in a bigger, grander, more powerful scale. It, whereas I think dramas are forced to be tethered to reality, and in a way I think they're less effective at doing the thing that we want movies to do, which is make us question what we're living in. Let me ask you this. You both work in horror. Are you still able to be scared by a horror film? Yes. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. No. Really? <laughs> no, I could say, yeah, like, like, what, like, what gets you now? Like, what? I, well, I'm extremely gullible. Like, I am a, I'm a child, and I was scared of things as a child, and so watching, especially Supernatural stuff, like, 
I'm not sophisticated. I'll go see a Conjuring movie and freak out. Like, if you expertly orchestrate a scare and someone comes out of something, I'm not not jumping. Uh, and it's great, and I love it. It's like my favorite reaction to have. Um, but then there's also like horror is, you know, you talked a little bit about what is horror. It's so hard to nail down because so much of it is subjective and personal. Uh, I think intent is really important to consider fear or invoke fear or discuss fear. And we all have our own very personal fears. I'm terrified of going insane. So movies that are very insular like that where people are breaking down freak me out. Yeah. And now you're not afraid of it. No. But how do you enjoy horror without that visceral reaction? Um, I th I think I can I can have emotional experiences like Hereditary fucked me up for a week. Oh my God, me too. That movie it, messed me up. It didn't scare me in the moment, but I felt terrible, and and it had an effect on me that just you know stuck. It made me stop sticking my head out the window of cars. I'm I'm working on that. I'm still kind of <laughs> I'll get there. But the 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 other thing that I just love about horror is just the craft of it. I love watching uh, cinematography and editing and composers working in Congress to to create that feeling in me, which is I think. Uh, um, you know where I can still keep. Get, I think it's the way, like you know, Rush fans talk to you about Rush. Yeah. And <laughs> like, and if you're not, if you don't know how to play the stick or whatever the right, fuck right. it is, like you don't get Rush. Like, I feel like I'm a Rush fan for horror at this <laughs> I, point. I love that. So what we're gonna do today is offer up four films that we think should maybe be in contention to be on the AFI list. And at the end of this discussion, you're gonna vote and we will unofficially put one on the list. We'll break into the offices there tonight. It's extremely official. Yes. We're we'll, nailing we'll, it down today. We'll be dressed in our us jumpsuits and, uh, and we will be uh, inserting it. But um, it was interesting when we, we were talking about doing this, every one of us submitted a film and kind of uh, not in conversation. It was like we had an email chain and it just organically happened that each one of us picked a film from a different decade and each one of these films, I think, are very, very different. So you'll let the, we'll, we'll see them as they go forth. But Amy, why don't you start? You have the one that's the oldest. I will start. But before we start, just kind of out of curiosity, I'd love to go through the four films on this that we mentioned really briefly and just kind of have an applause meter of whether or not you think they are horror films. Just out of my own personal curiosity. I yeah, absolutely. All right, great. I'm judging your responses. All right. So let's start with Psycho. Is that horror? What about Jaws? What about The Silence of the Lambs? Well, little less, little less. And what about The Sixth Sense? Ooh, interesting. All right, so if I was gonna rank the, the enthusiasm, I think the yeah. lowest one was Sixth Sense, then Silence of the Lambs. And I feel like Jaws. Then Psycho and then Jaws. Psycho and Jaws, I think, are about the same, right? I thought like that was about, because, I mean, those are like, I mean, they are the fabric of our film. I mean, Psycho is one of Definitely. the first horror films that I ever saw. It's like, and it does have all the elements of a great film. I just feel like, again, what it's missing is the grittier horror that you, that I don't know, that I feel like, I keep on saying it's like the the cheaper the the cheaper scare the more like the disposable horror yeah like, yeah the the uh, the sideshow element of it yeah like the popcorn horror which mm -hmm. I think I think that's a very big part of horror films it's like is that that it doesn't have to be high flute um, that's so such like I, a paradoxical argument it's like we're making an argument for the disposable thing to be permanent yeah I guess you're right yeah to a I, I think it's worth considering with Psycho I mean 
at the time, that w it was his cheap movie, right? Right, it was. It was his return, him going, I'm going to make a cheap, trashy, you know, paperback adaptation. And, you know, the shower scene, uh, the staircase scare, I, I think at the time that stuff worked in, in the way we look at jump scares now and the way we look at uh, very visceral scenes. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm sure you have to contextualize look at, at the time kind of things, but I absolutely think it works. So, I do too. Movie. To Paul's point about it being trashy, I would encourage people to watch the trailer for Psycho where it's Ad Alfred Hitchcock doing his best William Castle impression where he's walking you through the set and telling you, I can't tell you what happens here. <laughs> I, can't, I can't talk about what happens in this room. You're just going to have to see the movie. And it was, you know, I guess you're right. I, you know, I've forgotten about that to a certain degree. Like the idea that what he was doing was very sexual and it was, you know, wrong. Even showing, you know, two people in a bed together having an affair. I mean, that, yeah. like, to think about that being taboo. Even just the shot of the toilet was one of the yeah. first time a toilet was in a movie screen, yeah right and speaking of trashy psycho 2 oh so psycho. good psycho 2 is actually very good yeah, yeah. i mean man richard franklin yeah <laughs> um reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. All right, so Amy, why don't you lead us off with the film that you feel like should be on this list? I will pick this off, because I was debating this for a really long time, like what is the film that I really want to put forth as a horror film that I think deserves to be on this list? And so I was kind of running through thinking about like, what is the best film that I think says a lot narratively that I think really launched something, because I think the AFI believes very much in firsts, it loves to prioritize firsts. I was trying to think of a movie that I thought really was a movie, that I think has to tie into movie culture. And so that is why I decided to pick uh, the original George Romero, Night of the Living Dead. Yes. yes. Then, a, I just love this movie, but there's so many things I think are really important about it because Night of the Living Dead is our monster zombie movie that invented a whole genre. This movie comes up with the idea of zombies as they exist, as contagious biting monsters. And it has led to such an explosion of genre films in this whole element that this is, the zombie is really a monster that I think belongs to the movies more than it belongs to, more than any other monster belongs to movies. You know, like you have a history of vampire movies, you have a history of like, you have a history of vampires in literature, you have a history of Frankenstein movies, but the, the zombie really comes out of this moment in 1968 in this form. And so what I think is so interesting about Night of the Living Dead is, you know, we talk a lot on the list about like the films from the late 60s that kind of revolutionized Hollywood, really jolted it, really scared it. You know, things like Easy Rider is a really big example. These films that kind of showed the studio system what you could do if you could be like a legit guerrilla filmmaker, how to make film exciting again. And I think that it would be such an easy swap just to take Easy Rider off the list, put Night of the Living Dead on. They both have amazing scenes set in cemeteries. Amazing cemetery scenes. They are both just showing like what you can do when you don't have to follow rules anymore. And there's actually, I brought one clip from Night of the Living Dead that I wanted to show because like it's, ah, hello. <laughs> 
Because I just want to listen to this newscaster because what I think is so important about this scene is you are listening to a monster be born forevermore in the public identity. All law enforcement agencies and the military have been organized to search out and destroy the marauding ghouls. The Survival Command Center at the Pentagon has disclosed that a ghoul can be killed by a shot in the head or a heavy blow to the skull. Officials are quoted as explaining that since the brain of a ghoul has been activated by the radiation, the plan is kill the brain and you kill the ghoul. I mean, those words right there are responsible for thousands of movies that have come next, thousands of nightmares of everybody in this audience. But not only that, I think what I really respect about Night of the Living Dead is just that it is brave filmmaking. You have kids killing parents, that you have a hero surviving to the end of the movie only to be killed by the cops. That the more you look at this movie, it just has layers and layers of allegory. You can talk about this movie through the lens of the Cold War, you can talk about it through the lens of Vietnam, you can talk about it through the lens of racism, you can talk about it through the lens of like, can we get along as a human being, population, species? Can we ever team up to fight ourselves? And so because of that, I think it has everything that a good film needs to have, and therefore it is my pick. I like that pick. Amy, um, very, very passionate, makes me feel very unprepared to present my case for my film. But this idea of zombies, I mean, this, this is, you know, what is it about zombies? I mean, what is it that we return to zombies? I mean, literally, AMC is the zombie network. I mean, like, that, that, that's the most watched, what, at a certain point, the most watched show on television, you know, and it's not even network television. Like, that's crazy. People are into zombies, and is it because, I don't know, what, what do you think it is about zombies? I think there's a weird subliminal fantasy where we all want to see the end of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an apocalyptic thing that you get to sort of revel in. I think Walking Dead is a little more problematic because I think it's red state gun porn okay. for a, a good chunk of it. Yeah, okay. Uh, um, but the, the, idea, the idea of the world ending and, and you're still around is attractive. And it was attractive when Richard Matheson wrote about it in I Am Legend. And it's been, it's, uh, there's movies like The Quiet Earth and The Road Warrior. Everybody loves a good apocalypse story as long as you're, the protagonist that you're identifying with is still alive, right? Exactly, because what I think is so fascinating about zombie movies as a genre is it is the one genre where usually the good guys lose. You know, like zombie movies usually end with the zombies winning or with the person realizing they're not going to survive this. And I think that's fascinating that we choose this one genre to work through our just darkest agony of like what is sudden death. I did people in here see the dead don't die. That genre's film? Yeah, that is the most depressing, wonderful, cheerful movie I've seen all year. Can I posit a different reason why I think people like zombie movies? And, and that could be totally off base, and I haven't thought it through. But I'm going to say this. I think people want to see themselves be the hero, and it's so easy to, like, kill, like, I'm going to kill this thing. I'm going to kill it. And it's like, and there's a power to it, and there's, it's faceless. It doesn't mean anything, but it is a person. There's, like... There's a... Um, the video game element to it. Yeah, there's an element, and I think it's, it's the reason why, yeah, GTA and all these things, it's like, it's a visceral thing you can get behind. It's, it's what Death Wish is, to a certain... And when I say Death Wish, the Bruce Willis one, the best one. So, uh... <laughs> but, uh... But what, what do you think about zombies? I, I think you're, you're really getting there where uh, zombies are literally empty vessels. Uh, the modern idea of the zombie, we can project so much into... And, and you see it across all swaths of zombie cinema from, you know, Romero's political leanings and interests to, you know, 
arguably empty Italian exploitation, which is so satisfying. Uh, you know, like there's nothing like a Fulci movie. It's the most satisfying movie. Um, to, you know, apocalypse fantasy, which we see now. The, there's so much that you can just kind of put in there, and it ends up being a very subjective genre. I think my favorite, or one of my favorite zombie movies is 28 Days Later because you do something that like changes the form just a little bit. Oh, in this one, the zombies are fast. And it, it kind of like reinvigorates, you know, I mean, it's beautifully done and it's, it, it's really a well done film, but it's like, but it's just like, oh wow, you can just tweak one little element and it becomes a, a fully revitalized genre to a certain And a divisive issue. Yeah, right. Fast or slow. Choose and, and people argue about Which it online. Like, imagine to just caring, like I can't imagine, imagine caring, caring whether I prefer fast or slow zombies. Like this to me, it's such like a waste of my energy. Well, let's ask you guys. What do you uh, fast zombies? Slow zombies. Yeah. See, and and I'm gonna and my I people. think that I think that slow zombies go to my point, which is it's easier to kill a slow zombie. Like, yeah, I don't want to be like I don't want to have to fight the rock. Let me fight this, you know, this other guy who's gonna be like very, you know. So I think there is like this thing of like, all right, if they move slow enough, I can take a shovel. I can take a swing at this guy. I want to start the reappreciation of calling them ghouls. Great word. <laughs> yeah. Uh, underutilized word, underappreciated word. And you just see that in this. And they're like, kill the ghouls. Like, great. It sounds so much more fun. Adam Driver has it in the new one ghouls <laughs> like it's a, it's a nice moment um, like I said we're going to get to uh, your picks uh, the audience in a little bit but I I'll go next my movie came out in 1996 and I will say uh, I'll tell you what the movie is it's uh, Scream by Wes Craven and and I picked this movie, it's a little controversial because it's like, it, I picked it for a couple reasons, I feel like slasher horror is such a giant giant genre that will never really get the respect. Like, you're never going to see, like, Friday the 13th on this list, or, you know, the Dream Warriors, you know? It's like, um, you know, and, and I think, though, that those are such an iconic part of, of cinema that we grew up with. And what I think Scream did was it had a creator of this genre, you know, kind of at the top of his game. It seems like he is making the movie that is like the Jason, the Freddy, but also then commenting on it. And then when he does this, it's never the same. And this is the clip that I pulled, um, which is, think about this. This is 1996, and really before this, you've never seen anything like this. Jamie Lee was always the virgin in horror movies. She never showed the tits, so she went legit. Could afford a decent pair. What'd you say? That's why she always outsmarted the killer in the big chase. Only virgins can do that. Don't you know the rules? What rules? You <laughs> Jesus Christ, you don't know the rules? Have an aneurysm, why don't you? There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. For instance, number one, you can never have sex. Big no no! Big no! Sex with death, okay? Number two. You can never drink or do drugs. <laughs> no, the sin factor. It's a sin. It's an extension of number one. And number three, never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. Give me another beer. You want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. Just gives you like this idea, like, and it's like the first movie, or at least 
the one that I can remember and so popular that comments on all these tropes and now that movie I think has made every movie after it smarter like I feel like our horror films never lived in a world where there are horror films on and now I feel like all of our horror films our characters are aware that horror is a part of our universe all I could think of watching that is why aren't you in that movie <laughs> I was a little kid then I mean that uh, been, yes, I, yes. Uh, I'm bizarro Jamie Kennedy uh, that's such an audition scene though too from like I'm sure that that he did that Absolutely. for his audition but um there is something so great about that movie because it works on this on these two levels it, it's it's making fun of horror movies, it's calling in horror fans, but it's also, I think, bringing in a different audience. I grew up not being a fan of horror. It scared me. I grew up, I was scared of Freddy Krueger. I woke up in a panic. I, you know, I saw Psycho, that freaked me out. Jaws freaked me out. But those were what I could handle, like palatable horror. All my other friends were watching like Phantasm. And you know, and I'm like, I can't, no, that's not for me. Um, and this, is a, <laughs> this movie kind of served as my introduction to horror films because it, it, it had smart characters, it showed you, it let you in, but it did all the things that they're essentially talking about. They're, they're, they're doing both. Yeah. It also kind of disnifies the slasher genre a bit. Right. And it waves in the younger folks and it's, um, it mainstreams it in a way not like Silence of the Lambs and not like uh, you know, other, other films on that list, but it, 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 it keeps its sort of disreputable roots, but at the same time, it's the most polished slasher film that we'd seen at that point. Yeah. And that, that made an impact, and we were still feeling that. And I think now, I think it, it, it made these movies become bigger and bigger, because when that movie came out, it was just a huge, I mean, it just, it was, I feel like it got so much respect around the two, like everyone was talking about the opening yeah. scene, you know, and, and I've, we're all roughly, I mean, imagine, in the same age group. Like, that hit us probably at a very interesting time. Oh, I mean, I was... I was totally a kid, and it provided a blueprint for me. And not only in terms of, like, Halloween or Terror Train, but, you know, I remember Scream ending and being like, I have to see The Town the Dreaded Sundown. Like, I have to see this movie. I have to find it. You know, I, was, I had the path forward, which was really cool. Um, and then it also, literally, it reignited a wave, which so few movies actually do that. They come out, have such an impact that the slasher totally returned. And in a pretty good manner, urban legend fucking rules. And we have Scream to thank for that. No, I'm, I'm with you. Like this is I saw this before I saw Halloween. You know, because okay, yeah. I'm right of that like mall generation where I got dropped off to see this. And like I think that this movie is part of one of the films on my path to becoming a film critic. You know, to realize there are rules to these things that I can analyze them through different lenses. You know, that was a very feminist like teenager. And so I was like, there's a boob thing, and like she didn't show her boobs, and what's all that about? And so this film really, I didn't understand the plotting of it. And then I was able to go back and watch like the original slasher films and back to like kind of retrofit and understand how they all worked and how they all functioned. I also think it was, it was the beginning of, I think, giving pop culture a way to analyze movies in, in a way that's easy to be conversational about it. Because before Scream, if you were talking about tropes and slashers and final girls, you, you read Carol Clover, probably. And then Jamie Kennedy gets up there and puts it in super conversational living room terms. And now most people can cite that final girls. They can cite what are the cliches and the tropes and the things you need to have and things you should avoid. And that's kind of cool. It's kind of cool that we can get into that. Can I ask you guys a question? Uh, I love Cabin in the Woods. I think it's great. Yeah. But, um, I, but I've also watched it with people like, you got to watch this movie. And people I've watched it with hate it. 
And and I think what Scream does so well is that like it brings you in, but it also pays off what you're there to see. In Cabin in the Woods, I, I like. Am I right in saying that it's a little like? It may be a little bit even too smart for the room, or because I feel like some people are like, I, what, 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 what I just it's watched. It's a little academic. Yeah. Like, Behind the Mask is like that, too. Like Behind the Mask is a great uh, deconstruction of slashers, but there's literally a monologue in it that isn't as conversational with <clears throat> Jamie Kennedy's. It goes into theory very heavily, so it, it, by virtue, kind of shrinks the audience and makes it a little bit cool, more niche, more academic, more like a cool club. Yeah. And I'll be honest, Scream is just scarier. Like, right. Scream is just, I don't want to undersell it as an actual horror film. This film is terrifying. The opening right. Drew Barrymore scene always has me flipping out. Towards the end, when I have no idea where Ghostface is going to jump out, as it's like Courtney Cox is running for her life. This movie works on every level, every level like that. No, you're right. I mean, it totally works. Yeah, it's interesting. I know. I don't know. Like, it's, I just have noticed, like, that meta thing is a, is a fine line to kind of oh, hit. Oh, sure. There's very few people in my life I would show Cabin in the Woods to that I think would, would get on board with it. But Scream is for everybody. Yeah. Scream waves you in in a yeah. brilliant way. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Yeah. So that that is mine. All right. Like, who is uh, next? Like, yeah. Sam's up. Hi. Uh, my pick is the Blair Witch Project. Woo! I know. Tepid response. Whoa, Controversial whoa. choice. <laughs> I'm here to reclaim the legacy of the Blair I Witch Project, it. and by proxy, Blair Witch Two. <laughs> wow! Wow! What up? <laughs> Fuck with me. Tepid response, and then you double down. I love it. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard heckling like that in a church before. <laughs> I bring joy to the people. Um, I really, really love Blair Blair Witch Project, and I think it is a momentous film. I think it's one of the great horror films in a lot of different ways. I think one of the things that strikes me so much about the AFI list is that we have 100 movies, arguably of different style, of directorial vision, of perspective, and yet they're all sort of traditionally formalist, right? They're all sort of traditional narratives. They're all using the language that you guys talked about with Citizen Kane that really helped popularize visual cinematic language and take its cues from there. And we're not seeing movies that really play with form in, in the way Blair Witch does, in the way movies that started with David Holtzman's Diary and No Lies and this idea of, you know, fake verite or mockumentary or found footage or whatever you want to call it. And it's such a fascinating form, and it's such an interesting way to tell a story that goes back even further than cinema to Dracula, uh, to a lot of those early Gothic novels that were written in diary form and letter form. They were kind of the original found footage in a way. So Blair Witch Project, to me, did something very new at the time while also harking back to horror's roots in a very pure way. And it is very pure. It really evokes primal, primal, what is in the woods fear, and whether that's just getting lost, whether that's surviving, whether that's losing your mind, up to what is that supernatural thing coming to get me. And 
one of the things I love about it is you look through this camcorder the whole movie, and they're just, I mean, really, they're just in the woods, right? And you can get lost in the woods, theoretically. I've never done it. I don't want to do it. But this idea that if you don't know where you're going, you might keep returning to the same spot, right? You might, I passed that tree before, I passed that lake before. That's a very natural thing that can occur. And yet, in the Blair Witch Project, when it happens, it becomes unnatural because of all the suggestion of the witch, because of the folklore. And yes, they're passing by the same tree. It's a very normal, I got lost in the woods thing. But then you're like, is this, am I passing the same tree because I'm lost, or am I passing the same tree because there's a witch out here fucking with me? Uh, am I now a part of this legend? And I think that movie taps into that suggestion, the psychological suggestion, the real deep, deep fear of being alone in the woods with people you only kind of know. You're susceptible to their fears, you're susceptible to your own so well. That movie still haunts me. I just watched it last week to, to come talk about this. And that ending, I mean, Mike in the Corner, we could probably all talk different ways about what is that, you know? Like, you might be, oh, there's someone there fucking with them or he went crazy, or it's the witch. It will all bother with us on very deep, personal, different levels. And it's one of the lasting images of horror, and I think one of the things about horror is you need that legacy, lasting image. The ending of The Blair Witch Project, Mike in the corner, the camera falling, it's endlessly parodied, it's endlessly spooked, but it really, really retains its power. You know, that's really interesting you talk about it. I feel like all the films you know that we've talked about on this list and what we've already discussed have these iconic images. Like, say what you will about Blair Witch, what you feel about it, but everyone knows that face of Heather Donahue and every, yeah. like that, to camera, it, it's, a, it's like that classic, uh, classic image. Uh, to me, what I was thinking about with Blair Witch, do you think it works or worked better in the moment when people are like, is it real, is it not real? There was that, that, yep, that moment is so important because yeah. it's, it's part of a continuum of, of uh, audiences being really distressed by a film. We used, in 1931, they had to call ambulances for people in Dracula and Frankenstein and exorcists gave people seizures and stuff. And people walked out of Blair Witch, it was early days on the internet and stuff, but people went online uh, uh, positive it was real. And I don't think a movie has fucked with audiences like that since. No, I, I feel like it's almost impossible to because we've built, like, it's so hard because yeah. now everyone tried to copy it and then you, you yeah. smell the stank of, like, a, like a corporate, like, ooh, we're seeding it. It like, straight up invented that language yeah. of, like, this is how we're going to work. I mean, outside of the movie itself, it, it's so momentous in that early internet way. I mean, I... I knew that whole fucking timeline on the Blair Witch website, right. like the Rustin Par, the Coffin. I knew all of that shit. I was, I played the PC games. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was so into it, and I can't remember outside of really big blockbuster cinema the last time a movie did that. You know, I can't remember long lines to see a movie like that, and especially an independent movie. And that's the other thing that struck me about the AFI list is you don't have a lot of really independent cinema recognized. And I think that's part of the great thing about nominating Night of the Living Dead, which is not only a momentous horror movie, but really a momentous independent movie. And you know, Pulp Fiction's on the list, but the 90s were like a huge boom for independent cinema. It popularized independent cinema as a thing. The idea that you could go make a movie and you can then maybe go to Sundance and sell it and other people outside of a film festival and New York would see it. And it culminated in 1999 with Blair Witch Project maybe being like the most profitable independence. And I think there's really something to be said for that. Like this whole decade built to a movie that broke out in a way few had before. And do you think that there's a little bit of a backlash on Blair Witch because of the, uh, the POV of the video camera, right? Which has been used in like Cloverfield and there's that superhero movie. Uh, there's, there's a bunch of them. And, 
And you know, it's sort of like that thing, like, well, it makes me nauseous. It's that, you know, there, there's like a backlash on that, like are all films going to be through the lens of a camera? But I feel like that was a really great way to do it. I think Cloverfield was also smart, like, oh, let's do a monster movie through this perspective. But it's, it's tricky. I mean, I do think we have a hard time separating, you know, the original Blair Witch from all of the imitators that came after it. And, like, it's, we get so mad at the imitators that copied it that it, we almost discredit the Blair Witch and how wonderful it was and how effective it was 100%. for that. Like, it's paying for the sins of the bad movies. Right. I really have to say, I like your yeah. point a lot about this breaking out of the whole, like, scripted formalist, here we are, shot, shot, shot. Yeah. Oh, but, I mean, the idea of showing the range of what cinema can be. And honestly, I don't know if this will get me booed in this church, but you know, we just had our 50th episode kind of wrap up. We were talking about the best performances that were in the whole AFI that we've seen so far of our 50 films. And I said Meryl Streep and Sophie's Choice. But I honestly think Heather stacks up. Incredible. Like, that is one Incredible. of the best acting performances this I have scene, ever seen. The apology is so heartbreaking. We should show a little bit of yeah. that. so much made mm-hmm. fun of like for the water on her nose and I almost wonder if we have had to make fun of that scene because it is so powerful we need to figure out a way to be above it most of the imitators you don't really see until probably around paranormal activity because I think until then you know obviously there had been movies like Cannibal Holocaust and Man Bites Dog and things like that but something like this had never been as popular it was one of the first to really consume people and it was such a fever pitch such a phenomenon that people endlessly parodied it, so you didn't see that wave of imitators until Paranormal Activity. It's funny that we watch this clip, because I've really only been familiar with the image. Like, I've forgotten how kind of real and small it is, because yeah. uh, I've been used to seeing yeah. all the versions of it, the scary movie versions of it. Sure. I think it's just about it being iconic, yes. right? There's moments in that film, but when, when something becomes iconography, it's going to get parodied and imitated, 100%. you know, just Lugosi. It, it's just a thing that happens in the genre, and, and, and it, it is nice to sort of revisit that. I have, probably haven't looked at that in 20 years. There's an, and there's another moment where, it, and it's all suggestion, but it's when they really run out of the tent at night, and Heather's just screaming, what is that? And you can't see anything. It's black in the night, but it's so scary, because you don't know. Is she saying something? What is it? I think it's also worth mentioning, you know, we, all, we, we end up always talking about directorial vision and a tourist cinema and stuff. This is like true collaboration in cinema. You know, Ed, Eduardo Sanchez and Dan Murek, 
sent Heather Donahue, Mike Williamson, and Josh Leonard out into the woods with a bunch of cameras. They all filmed themselves, constructed their performances through suggestion, through improvisation, through outline. It was constructed in the edit. They all did it together. And I think there's something really to be said for that, too, because we have popularized this idea of like one author, one vision. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, dropping the mic. <laughs> uh, just putting it down. Now do Blair Witch 2. Book of Shadows, y'all. I, I will tell you one thing, just a, just a side note to put it in context for time, too. So I used to I perform at the UCB Theater, the Upright Citizens Brigade. It's, uh, we have guests there all the time, people from, you know, giant Robin Williams would be there performing, Mike Myers, it, it, Tina Fey, Will Ferrell, like all these people, huge people. Blair Witch comes out, Heather Donahue comes to do monologues for ASCAT, unadvertised, um, you know, because you never knew who you were going to get. You can get musicians, you can get politicians, everybody. It was a real weird mix. I had never, until this day, seen a fervor and energy around. She had two bodyguards with her that had to escort her in and out of the facility because she was being mobbed, like, on the street. It, like, I just think it's interesting. It's like, you can't capture that again. Like, I've never seen that. But that energy around this person for that movie, it was just like maybe like two or three weeks after the movie came yeah. out, and it was, it was, it was scary, Sc- like frightening. Like, and they all had questions, right? Yes, yeah. Well, because <laughs> the mob they just thought really she wanted was dead. Answers. Yeah. You know, and that was the thing, and, and it was tricky because it's like I think a lot of these horror movies have fresh faces, and you don't know. And I think people bought into that story, and they wanted to know, and they kept it, you know, very kind of quiet. It wasn't like junkets. It wasn't like they didn't talk about the process. Yeah. But all right. Um, so let's all right. Our final film. This is a all good right, one. Cool. So I have to. Here's. I'm going to give a quick backstory. Amy said, email me your picks. And I got panicked like I needed to call dibs on something. And so I emailed you back like two minutes later. And then I looked at the list of AFI because I was busy and hadn't looked at it. So I didn't realize that The Exorcist wasn't on the list. And I didn't realize that Dracula and Frankenstein weren't on the list. That list sucks. Yeah. Um, yeah it's got William holes. Friedkin's The French Connection on the list and not William Friedkin's The Exorcist. There's a lot of <laughs> gaps. A lot of gaps on that list. But I, I kind of stand by my choice anyway because I think uh, the next time they do one of these lists, it's going to be on it because I think it's a game changer. I think it's a, it's a moment like all these other films are. And mine is 2017's Get Out. Um, I, think, I think Get Out is is a is a turn in in the the timeline in a way that we're going to be feeling the effects of it for years to come. I think Get Out uh, did something remarkable on a couple of fronts. One of them is it it made us go back and look at older black horror films and reassess them. Like t- suddenly after Get Out, everybody was talking about Tales from the Hood again, which was kind of dismissed in 1995, and now it's great. It's it's a great film. Um, it it led to us looking back through history and seeing where black Americans were left out of the story or exploited for the story or marginalized, sometimes played by white people in black makeup and going all the way back to 100 years. And then Get Out in a lot of ways is the culmination of a 100 year story about black Americans and the horror genre. And I think um, that kind of can't be understated at the moment. I, I, you know, when you picked that, I said to Amy, I was like, that movie, Get Out, if, you, if I had to put money on any movie going on this list, it's 100% Get Out is going on. I that think it's list. going on. I list. mean, it's just the, the, only because I feel like it hits all of those those points exactly yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. and I think um, just to circle back to what is horror to me, and the cool thing about Fango is that I get tweeted at every day about what is and isn't horror, and uh, it's fucking great. But um, <laughs> uh, 
to me, see that scares me. The so definition, that's, that's yes. Twitter DMs scare you more than. Uh, Do not at me. Um, I think for something to be a horror film, it has to. The primary emotion it's going for has to be horror. So the thing is a science fiction movie. The Fly is a science fiction movie. Aliens a science fiction movie. But those are all horror movies on the emotional spectrum. Okay. So I think that's important. And I think Get Out presented a horror in a way that was very real for a, half that audience and very new for half that audience. And that was the, I think that's the secret sauce of Get Out is that it's, a, it's secretly maybe the most empathetic horror film ever made because it puts you in um, a mindset that you had not challenged yourself to be in maybe before or you had not thought, you've had the luxury or the privilege to not think about being in that role before about being the only person of color in a room full of white people it like everybody talks about all of the, the the teacup and stuff but to me that movie is at its sharpest when it just made you feel that low level dread of being that person in that room and a lot of us haven't had to think about that before and he put it in such um, emotionally relatable terms while still doing a horror movie, while also being a comedy. There's lots of horror comedies, but there's nobody that really nailed that balance of horror and comedy. The way, and I love Piranha. Oh, ah, Piranha 3D. I took my <laughs> wife to see it while we were in Hawaii. She's still mad a little bit. Um, but Get Out is legitimately scary, and it's legitimately hilarious. And I think that there's maybe five movies that do that. I, I love that you said the word empathy. Because I, you're right, it didn't occur to me to list that as one of the things when you're saying what makes a horror film. But a horror film is all about seeing a victim on screen and being worried about them, caring about them, like hoping they survive. That's why I think, the, to me, the horror films that work the worst are the ones where you sort of hate everybody on screen and you make it okay for them all to die. Where everybody's like a bimbo, where they start following the screen rules too much and they're like, I hope she dies. Where you really, really care about the person at the end of the knife, I think that's when horror is so effective. I find that the African-American experience for me has been, for the most part, very good. Although, I find it difficult to go into detail as I haven't had much desire to leave the house now. <laughs> We've become such homebodies. Yes, 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 but even when you go into the city, I've just had no interest. The chores become my sanctuary. trend like you're saying that it, it's shifting and since 2017 it's you know Jordan has now already made his second you know his second film you know uh, now putting a stamp on Twilight Zone but what do you what have you seen in horror that's shifted since that film that's like something that's really right now we're living in it right now this is a, a weirder example, but the, the Purge series is always interesting to me because the Purge series started as a, as a rich white person's suburban nightmare. Right. Like, let's lock up our house. Yes. The fourth Purge is now being, it's directed by a black man, and it is 
basically almost like a Tuskegee experiment kind of commentary on the institutional, like sort of grinding up of, of the black community oh, wow. for the, you know, for the benefit of, of white folks. I mean, it's, it's, le it's legitimately gone through this weird arc where it is now, yeah. it's now actually what we would call with, black horror. So interesting. And I feel like what, what's also, uh, interesting, at least about the three, uh, the last three films we talked about too, there are these crossover horror movies, right? They're mm -hmm. like, and all the four on the list are also crossover too. They're, they're, everyone saw it. Everyone's seen Get Out. Everyone's seen Scream. Every, you know, it's like yeah. everyone's seen Blair Witch or at the time, you know? And I think that that's interesting too. Can you get everyone to come see it? Because who will, you know, Brightburn is supposedly great. I haven't seen it yet, but like not everyone will go see Brightburn. It, no. It's not going to be on, the, you know, but it's like, to be able to walk that line is really interesting. Like, what gets everyone in the theater that won't normally go? Yeah, it's it's lightning in a bottle, and it's hard to know. But as as Peel has said, the culture changed in a way while he was making Get Out. Now, Obama was president when he was making Get Out, and then it and then the election happened, and you know he he sort of says with some chagrin that the culture changing really helped that movie because suddenly right. it was just. Everyone was laser, laser focused on the subtext of that film and what was what was uh, being discussed in it in a way that they wouldn't have been nine months earlier. That's actually a thing that also happened with Night of the Living Dead too, you know, because it stars a black protagonist. Mm -hmm. And the story is is that when Romero was driving his canisters of film to New York to sell the film, right when he had finished wrapping it, that was the night that Martin Luther King was shot, and yep. he suddenly realized this film was going to matter more than he'd even imagined it mattering at the time. Yeah, and he claims he didn't care about that, about the casting either. of Dwayne Jones as the black man, but if you look at all his other zombie movies, he really leaned into that going forward. Like, by the time he had his fourth film, like, the protagonist was a, a black man zombie, which was, you know, a little... <laughs> um, you know, the, the impact of Get Out was so immediate that it's easy to almost not look back on it in a weird way and go, like, oh, the, the craft of this movie. Like, it's... The dexterity of this movie, the precision of this movie, it is a masterfully made movie. Like, out, the impact was felt because of how good it was and how it, it was able to convey that empathy. And yeah. you said, you know, it is as scary as it is funny. And you can watch it in both of those modes and get completely different experiences. When I saw it in the theater, the energy was so high that you almost, you felt the horror, but not in a sad way. And then I watched it recently at home. The weekend I saw us, I went, oh, I can watch Get Out. I was like, oh, I haven't seen this in the theater. And it was a melancholy experience, and I appreciated that so much more. I was like, oh, you can, you can completely change your mode watching this movie, and that is one of the, to me, the signs of a great movie, the layers within. I'd also say like there's something really rewatchable about uh, Get Out. I also say there's something really rewatchable about Us, and there's something rewatchable about Scream. Like these movies that you know they don't have like they can exist past the first initial thing. You know I think there's a disposable element to that was a scary movie. Like I watched the movie with uh, Kate Hudson and Skeleton Key. Yeah, all right, great. You know moving on. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's throw it to you. I'm gonna come out there too. All right, so what do you think? By round of applause again, based on our four films, uh, what do you think should be on the list? Uh, uh, is all right. So by applause, uh, Night of the Living Dead. Uh, scream. I figured that. Blair Witch Project. Get out. Let's let's just go between Night of the Living Dead and Get Out. Night of the Living Dead. Get out. Interesting. What do you guys? What did you guys hear? I feel like Night of the Living Dead got a little bit more. Somebody wooed. Yeah, there's a woo. Uh, at Night of the Living Dead. 
also think it's it's interesting because Night of the Living Dead is something that is sitting there and it's been there for a long time and Get Out is fairly new and fresh um, so I always feel like it takes a beat for that but I feel like I actually think that they both should belong on that list. But now I want to see what you guys think belong on that list. Uh, if anyone wants to tell us, and we'll give you a, a... Yeah, we'll just hear. Here you go. What do you think? Uh, the Thing. The Thing. That was going to be my choice. The Thing. Great movie, John Carpenter. You guys agree? You like The Thing? Thing, anyone? All right. Here you go. Yeah, what do you think? The Shining. Oh, The Shining. Shining, great, yeah. Let's see what we got over here. All right, sir. What about you? Seven. Ooh, Seven. Is Seven a horror movie? Do we consider Seven? Yes. All right. I love it. All right. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Great idea. The Ring. Ooh, The Ring. These are all really good. All right. Anybody else? Anybody else? These are all great uh, ideas. All right. Here we go. All right. We got one over here. What do you got? Alien. Alien. That's a great one, too. Yeah. Fire walk with me. <laughs> Take a little toy. Yeah, right, Who's that? Disappointed weirdo? in you all. <laughs> Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead, great. These are all really good. Yeah. Right. Well, I'll let you both say. There you go. Right, here we go. We're two more. Um, I think The Exorcist, but I also think A Clockwork Orange is a, f- is a horror film as well. All right, so, oh, so adding Clockwork Orange to our list, that's good. All right, Exorcist, definitely. Okay, great. And here it goes. Our last one. Let's make it good. What do you got? Robert Wise is the hunting. Ooh. These are great. So, but I think what's kind of interesting, and this is what goes into my argument about the comedy and hearts, it is subjective, right? It's hard to find those movies that everyone likes. And I think that the only movies that are going to get on this list are these ones that cross all these levels. Like, I love The Thing. It was one I was going to talk about, but I'm like, I don't know if that's a movie that everyone sees. But maybe it's something like Alien definitely is in that category. I think, uh, there's, you know, Get Out. I mean, we've, there's, a, there's a handful. It's, it's interesting, though. It's, it's so subjective. Yep. I, I, I think it's also, you know, I don't know if anyone else feels like this, but there, there's a push and pull for me, too, where I'm like, yes, I, I love these movies. I want them to be acclaimed and recognized. I want the legacy of Blair Witch to be impacted. But going back to, like, disreputable, disreputable cinema and, and Evil Dead 2 and stuff, the other part of me is sort of like, fuck AFI list. Like, right. we love yeah, this movie, right? Like, we're kids. You know, we grew up watching this stuff. You know, we don't need that validation to love it. No, I hear that. Well, All right, that's yeah. great. I like that closing statement. I think, I think Sam just canceled your podcast. No, I think... No, it's good. It's good. We, we are challenging this list and what should be in this, like, time capsule. Um, any final thoughts on horror, where we should go, what we should be watching, anything at all? Watch Shudder. Watch Shudder. <laughs> I took Sam's answer. Watch a documentary I produced on Shudder called Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror. Oh, wow. I'm very excited about that. My friend produced a show uh, that's on Shudder, the Critters series. Yes. Yes, yeah. Um, and anything else? Uh, what do you... What you um, I just, you know, love what you love, enjoy the genre, and, uh, you know, don't let anyone tell you that your tastes are weird or, or bad, or just love what you love. Yeah. <laughs> Amy, this brings us to our end. Do you have any final thoughts on horror? 
No, except that we are in the middle of a film festival and there's a lot of new scary movies to go see today. A lot of new directors to discover. Yeah. And thank you guys here at The Overlook for joining us. This has been so much fun. It's been amazing. And I will say this. Thank you for coming out in the middle of the day. And I'm so upset with myself that I did not hire someone in a scary mask and a robe to run through here with a knife. <laughs> middle of the podcast I thought of that I'm like god damn it that would have been a great idea um, thank you everybody for coming to our first live show thank you everybody Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.